forecast industry about one to two billion dollars depending on the year. A lot of Canadians say, why is that? This sector makes a lot of money. Why are we subsidizing them? Good evening from Newfoundland. I'm Kiersey Stanford. The clip you just heard was Seamus O'Regan speaking recently at Trades and L election uh, public forum. I played that because today's episode is gas and lots of it. Climate change is thought to be the most severe threat of the 21st century. It's obviously not a novel observation. We've known about the effects of greenhouse gas since the 19th century, when scientists began presenting frank and explicit warnings. We also know that we cannot have a sound economy without a clean, healthy atmosphere. No mistake about it. Climate change prevails as the defining issue of our time, which underlines the importance of the federal government to address it. Dwaddling and dallying only put enormous hardship on future generations. The pace at which science's warning of climate disruption is hair-raising. Carbon dioxide and other greenhouse gases emanating from burning fossil fuels such as oil, coal, and natural gas to generate energy and their persistently rising average temperatures in all regions of the world. And they present unparalleled challenges. We are not equipped to live with the climate, not to mention the climate change is anticipated to broaden the geographical distribution of several vector-borne human infectious diseases. Warming climates enhance the risk of dengue transmission. This we know. The growth and development of mosquitoes are significantly impacted by the temperature and humidity. The repercussions of climate change can have a plethora 
of economic and social implications, the costs of which are steep and rising, primarily due to growing exposure and increasing asset values. The cost scale implies that households, communities, businesses, and infrastructures are not sufficiently adapted to current climate conditions and variability. A sustainable global environment requires Canada to deliver meaningful contributions to worldwide efforts. Canada proclaims itself to be a climate leader, and the federal government has pledged itself to phase out fossil fuel subsidies. Yet, the actions of successive and liberal conservative governments do not equate to the scale and speed that this crisis commands. We are only just scraping the surface. Neither party has stood ready to lead and convince Canadians that the adaptations, costs, will not fall on the most vulnerable and disadvantaged Canadians as we readjust as a nation. This crisis is not solely a political or scientific issue. It's a moral issue. It is thoroughly documented. Those who are not disproportionately affected by climate change are, are impoverished. Now, I'm not a religious person, but didn't Jesus say that we will be judged on treating the poor? To the evangelicals, um, libertarians, and staunch right-wing Christian conservatives, I ask you, what will your response be in the afterlife when God greets you at those pearly white gates and asks, what did you do with the world he created and why you never protected it? The fundamental cause of this problem is essentially invisible, but at the core of scientific research on climate change is basic chemistry. I'm referring to the amount of infrared absorbed by climate dioxide and water vapor. If you declare climate change a hoax, I suggest and question whether or not you even opened a high school chemistry book. I'm serious. The calamitous effects of climate change are impossible to ignore. In China, a year's worth of rain fell in only three days. Imagine that, a year's worth of rain fallen in 72 hours. Siberia is encountering um, its first fire season ever. More than 4 million acres burned. In the United States, Hurricane Ida resulted in a month's worth of rain falling in just a few hours. And in Germany, hundreds were killed and dozens of towns ravaged by the worst flooding in a thousand years. In Portland, Oregon, the heat rose well above average temps, melting streetcar power cables. In Vancouver, British Columbia, it got so hot, some sidewalks actually started to buckle. Climates are changing rapidly, and some elected members continue to deny the reality, even as experts say we must plan our cities and towns to withstand the heat, floods, and other extremes that are coming. The unlivable heat waves, widespread hunger, and drought, they'll only continue. So will rising sea levels to the point of forcing millions of people from their homes and the extinction of many species. This will be the ecological legacy that we will leave our children unless we curb the increase in the global mean temperature.
We cannot continue financing fossil fuel infrastructures and still meet our climate targets. We know, right, that oil is a hydrocarbon. It is made of literally carbon. When it is burned, we get carbon dioxide, the most influential greenhouse gas, as it's emitted through human activities. So oil companies would actually have to defy the laws of chemistry to even conceive of an oil that offers no carbon emissions when burned. The oil and gas industry are multi-billion dollar companies, yet they receive billions of dollars in tax breaks, direct spending, and public financing every year from the public purse. These are irresponsible government handouts to prop up an industry whose growth is incompatible with Canada's mandated climate targets. Look, I know that we have saved countless benefits from the oil and gas industry, but that occurs with malignant consequences. Decarbonizing our economies is crucial for human survival. Research shows that most profits from the country or from the industry are actually leaving the country. In contrast, other studies reveal the majority of their liabilities, which is now estimated at a whopping $260 billion amounting, are not only remaining in Canada, but falling to taxpayers to foot the bill. This capitalist logic is a recipe for destruction and a driving force of long-term inequality that has prevailed under the global fossil fuel industry's appetite for profit. Stand Earth in May of 2020 published a report revealing investors and shareholders outside Canada own more than 70% of its oil sands production. Environmental Defense and Equiterra explain that foreign companies and shareholders are profiting from huge dividends from oil sands. And, the, and at the same time, Canadians pay higher for subsidies to keep the industry afloat. What we have done is built a double standard in this country regarding carbon emissions from the consumption and production of fossil fuels. Subsidies to fossil fuel producers convey a clear signal encouraging the repetition of, of um, carbon pollution, accelerating climate change while endangering the goal of carbon pricing, which is to reduce carbon emissions. We should not continue to look for ways to make it cheaper to find, extract, process, transport, and export fossil fuels. Doing so only intensifies an already worsening problem. Subsidies, they promote expanded fossil fuel production, raising the risk of locking in greenhouse gas emissions for decades to come, not to mention its culpability in redirecting vital government uh, resources away from other priorities that benefit all of us, such as healthcare, clean energy, and affordable housing. The federal government endangers any environmental advantages of the carbon tax by satisfying polluters with incentives. Is it too drastic to declare we deserve a transparent price on carbon that produces uh, that reduces pollution, not lo uh, loose handouts that reward carbon polluters? If the carbon tax is exclusively imposed on consumers and not producers, it's unjust and immoral, in my opinion. Subsidies for consumers have been shown to increase inequality by mainly serving wealthier consumers who can afford to pay more than society's poorest members.
We need to scale up renewables and implement government support for renewable energy. Doing so has provided has and proved to help governments reform and reduce subsidies and other support measures for fossil fuels. Government spending should not go anywhere near lending a hand to companies spent on heaving us toward disaster, especially when we already know traveling in that direction is going to be calamitous for us. This is the reality we are living with, folks, and some countries around the world plan to produce more than twice the amount of fossil fuel, far surpassing what would be compatible with our temperature limit of 1.5 degrees Celsius. So, here we are. On the one hand, the Canadian government is setting aggressive climate targets and talking a great game. Still, on the other hand, the government continues to subsidize the very companies and their activities that add most to the problem. Now is where I would typically be reminded of all the jobs created by the prestigious industry. Job creation is an obvious rebuttal. Still, contrary Contrary to popular opinion, that argument no longer holds up. Because, see, the fossil fuel industry produces fewer jobs per unit of output than any other sector in the Canadian economy right now. Albertans should ask themselves if it's worthwhile to continue gambling on the oil sands. Because, let's be real, who is it we are holding afloat when we bail out the oil and gas industry. It's certainly not the workers and their families. An estimated 53,000 oil and gas workers in Alberta have lost their jobs from 2014 to 2019. Jobs that are certainly not going to be coming back. In contrast to funding for fossil fuels, clean stimulus, however, produces almost three times as many jobs for equal investment. For this reason, I think taxes should be lower on sustainable activities, particularly those that involve a more significant investment in labor. It is irresponsible for government to provide financial support to an industry that must be winding down to evade catastrophic warming levels. Subsidies, muddy markets as they favor oil and gas over renewable energy, stretching the market's failure created by underpricing pollution and climate impacts. If we possess a fighting chance at attaining net zero by 2050, the passage that separates rhetoric from the action of governments, it needs to close and it needs to close now. We'll be right back. It's not just what you say that matters, it's what you do. For six years, we've heard Justin Trudeau say the right thing with no intention of doing it. I want to build a better future for every Canadian, not talk about it. Make life more affordable for your family. Tax the ultra-rich and use that money to help the rest of us. Better is possible with a Prime Minister who actually wants to do more for you. Canada, along with other G20 partners, pledged to phase out inefficient fossil fuel subsidies in 2009. The promise has been reaffirmed year after year as G20 leaders converge, but federal and provincial supports to oil and gas producers totaled more than $3.3 billion in 2015. 
In 2020, the federal government of Canada either declared or supplied a bare minimum of almost $18 billion to the oil and gas sector. This includes over $3 billion in direct subsidy programs and over $13 billion in public financing, funneled to oil and gas companies, basically through a non-transparent crown corporation called EDC, Export Development Canada, including both regular financial support and COVID-19 support. An important point to mention here is that... Um, the report published by Standearth, it does not include externalities like healthcare costs from the impacts of fossil fuels, the costs of pollution, cleanup, and mitigation. In 2015, a study by IMF found that when externalities are included, the Canadian government provided $63 billion to the oil and gas sector that year, in 2015. Cleaning up Alberta's oil patch, including the 90,000 abandoned wells, toxic tailing ponds, and aging pipelines, could cost upwards to the average Canadian taxpayer of $260 billion collectively. The Canadian Medical Association noted that each year in Canada, the burning of fossil fuels is, is accountable for $53.5 billion and health-related costs. So no, we should not incentivize the, this industry, especially when Canada faces a challenge. Economic recovery, air pollution, and mounting climate change costs. Fossil fuel subsidy reform would strengthen and support more comprehensive federal action on climate change and help Canada meet its climate targets. A critical first step to ensure a climate-safe future and transition to a low-carbon economy. A recent peer review study published in Environmental Research and authored by a team from Harvard University, the University of Birmingham, um, they found that one in five premature deaths is caused by air pollution from burning fossil fuels. I don't know if you are aware, but in Canada... That's roughly 36,000 people a year. And this industry receives immense profits from polluting the global atmosphere without any costs. Talk about savage capitalism made possible by ableist conservatives and moderate liberals who reject and obstruct logical efforts to combat the imminent climate crisis. It is deeply troubling that we elect politicians who flirt with reality and, con and continue to coddle the oil and gas lobby. At the same time, scientists issue frank and explicit warnings about the threat of destruction to human life. The responsibility of environmental cleanup costs associated with oil and gas operations should fall entirely on those primarily responsible for creating the crisis over centuries. Here's talking to you, petroleum companies. Even ExxonMobil, their research showed that the power fossil fuels played in global warming discussion decades ago, but to shield their business model and their own interests, they chose to see doubt of uncertainty and formulate mass uh, confusion concerning factual data. This, this we all know. Abandoned 
Oil and gas wells, all tar sand mines, and toxic tailing ponds have created an environmental disaster that could cost $260 billion to clean up. That tab should not be the responsibility of the Canadian government. It's time. Canada's biggest polluters pay their environmental bills, not taxpayers. Oil executives need to stop lying. The ecological impact of oil and gas companies operating in Canada, it's only going up. The operations of this sector creates massive amounts of water pollution, local air pollution, and land disturbance. They also impact plants, animals, and even entire species. Keith Stewart is a senior energy strategist for Greenpeace Canada. He said, and I quote, It's pure ideology and can stand up to even the most cursory fact-check as important research has consistently shown that oil extracted from the tar sands is among the most carbon-intensive petroleum on the planet. End quote. Look, it is implausible or economically viable to be pursuing oil and gas extraction. Survival of human health is literally at stake. If we stand any chance at survival, we must transition away from oil and gas and towards a clean, renewable energy now. Fossil fuel subsidies are counterproductive in a world that is shifting to clean energy. They undermine our efforts to address climate change. Rather than make pollution expensive, subsidies make it cheaper and they incentivize the pollution that we're trying to stop. They distort the market. They push new investment towards sectors that might not have otherwise been economically viable. We could transition faster to an economically stable, climate-safe future, even if we used a small portion of savings from these subsidies to support renewable energy or efficiency. Reforming these subsidies will generate savings for broader investment into sustainable energy. But that's not direction that our status quo government would like to take. They would prefer to continue with this lackadaisical approach while giving billions of dollars in tax breaks and handouts and that they only further increase the profits of fossil fuel companies, which is already a multi-billion dollar industry. As part of the G20, Canada committed itself to phase out inefficient fossil fuel subsidies by 2025. Despite phasing out coal, Canada still hasn't taken the necessary steps to live up to these promises, not to mention added new contributions in the wake of COVID-19. In contrast, the executive director of the International Energy Agency and the Secretary General of the United Nations have urged countries to remove fossil fuel subsidies and supports, including public finance. But, among the OECD members who are a part of the G20, Canada ranks last. Canada ranks last on ending support of fossil fuels, which is another reason federal and provincial governments should not extend the lifespan of any of these fossil fuel subsidies that are set to expire. Building back from this pandemic will require a mobilization of citizens to ensure the elected officials who occupied 338 seats in the House of Commons that they're committed to reforming the federal tax system to ensure that policies encourage a more equitable, sustainable economy.
With proper leadership from the federal government, Canadians can have both environmental and economic security. We will not get there with elected officials who deny that the problem is real, who refute that the reality of anthro anthropogenic climate change are not transparent when Canadians with Canadians and how much we spend on fossil fuel subsidies. Between 2016-2018, Canada provided more public finance for fossil fuels than any G20 country other than China and the most per capita. International Institute for Sustainable Development conducted a scorecard of OECD members among the G20. Since the pandemic's beginning in early 2020, Canada has committed at least $82 billion dollars to support different energy types. Through new or amended policies, according to official government sources and other publicly available information. Let me read you a few stats from the IISD and their scorecard, just to put this in context. G20 countries allocated $170 billion in public money to fossil fuel intensive sectors in response to uh, the COVID-19 pandemic. Between January and August 2020, this support indicates that G20 governments are moving in the wrong direction. Every G20 country is at risk of not delivering on its fossil fuel subsidy phase-out commitment, and G20 governments provided $584 billion annually between 2017 and 2019 via direct budgetary transfers and direct expenditure, price support, public finance, and SOE investment to produce and consume fossil fuels at home and abroad. Governments provided more support to oil and gas production than any other stage of fossil fuel-related activity at $277 billion, which is 47% of um, the total support for fossil fuels. Seven of the G20 countries increased their fossil fuel support between 2014-2016. Australia, Canada, China, France, India, Russia, and South Africa. The United Kingdom, our friends across the bay, uh, in 11th place. They lack transparency about government support and continues to provide support for consumers of fossil fuels by foregoing tax revenues and supplying direct budgetary transfers. Mexico, they're tied with the UK and Turkey with a score of 48 out of 100. They continue to provide significant support for oil and gas production and fossil fuel-based power, primarily through SOE investment. Their transparency is tied with Canada as mediocre, and they share a high rating with Canada in support of oil and gas exploration and production, refining, and transportation. Turkey also lacks transparency and supports uh, coal production and fossil fuel use, predominantly by foregoing tax revenue and providing SOE investment. But where does Canada rank in all of this? Well, Canada ranks in in fifth. Um, highest in support of... Uh, 
oil and gas exploration, production, refining, transportation, our transparency and pledge uh, and commitments, they rank mediocre. Saudi Arabia, although they're not an OECD member, they're they do continue their support for oil and gas production and fossil fuel-based power, predominantly due to significant capital expenditure from its SOEs and support for fossil fuel use via low energy prices. The report says that the federal fossil fuel subsidies in Canada reached at least $600 million in 2019. In 2020, IISD identified 10 federal Canadian tax policies that benefit fossil fuel um, that benefit fossil fuels, but could only find financial data for two of them. The Government of Canada reports tax expenditures annually. Starting in 2020, however, it includes a table on tax expenditures that support the fossil fuel sector. But according to the Department of Finance Canada, the information presented on fossil fuel-related expenditures, it's incomplete. Canada's 2020 report on federal tax expenditures lists seven at the federal level, but only provides financial data for two. Provinces and territories offer significant tax breaks and royalty subsidies at this subnational level. But many are not accounted for in provincial budgets. This lack of data also hinders assessment by other government agencies, such as auditors and independent researchers. Based on available data, IISD estimates that total annual fossil fuel subsidies across Canada were approximately $4.8 billion per year in 2018 and 2019. Two-thirds were foregone revenue. This estimate does not include provincial data um, measures, uh, most federal tax deductions, or other subsidies for the sector. Another recent assessment found that the Canadian oil and gas industry it currently has an estimated multi-year stock it currently has a multi-year stock of tax loss carry forwards of $63 billion. They can use to deduct tax payments from this over time. Canada certainly needs to improve its fossil fuel subsidy reporting, um, including tax expenditures and other policies reducing government revenue. In 2015, the Auditor General found that information provided by the Department of Finance on tax expenditures, it was not sufficient to allow adequate parliamentary oversight. In 2019, the AG found that the Department of Finance assessment of subsidies for fossil fuels, it was incomplete, resulting in bad advice to the minister, essentially. Uh, decision makers should also consider the externality costs of fossil fuels, such as quantifiable costs associated with air pollution and greenhouse gas emissions. Like other governments in the G20, Canada's use of the word inefficient, it clouds the reform of some fossil fuel subsidies. See, the Auditor, the auditor General has also echoed the claim that the Canadian federal government has not adequately defined inefficient. Canada's international obligations and domestic watchdog requires a significant step in reporting fossil fuel subsidies.
Contrast with calls from the oil and gas industry and researchers, they found to minimize subsidy reporting. The Canadian Association of Petroleum Producers even made an outlandish claim in 2017 that tax measures are not subsidies. The truth, however, is grants and public financing help fossil fuel industries compete. And they also lowered their costs of business. So they are indeed correctly classified as subsidies. There can be significant opportunity costs when government directs money to this type of subsidy rather than other clean energy or emission reductions. See, grants and direct spending fall within the World Trade Organization's definition of subsidies. Export Development Canada it provides nearly $14 billion to domestic and international oil and gas companies each year. EDC support for fossil fuel um, outweighs its support for cleaner alternatives. For example, the support that EDC reported from 2016 to 2019 for clean tech, it was at least seven times less than their support level for oil and gas. Now, as a crown corporation, it is ultimately the taxpayers who bear the risks and liabilities that are associated with EDC. Their support for oil and gas includes funding for projects criticized for human rights violations at home and abroad. EDC received $8.1 billion in 2020 for financing given to support both domestically and internationally by the operations of oil and gas companies. They also acquired $5.25 billion, which finance renewals and amendments made in 2020 to finance the Trans Mountain Pipeline expansion. See, the total amount of the Canada Emergency Wage Subsidy COVID support program acclaimed by oil and gas companies, it remains unknown as the Trudeau government offered no transparency on its recipients. In June 2020, CAP estimated that Imperial Oil claimed $300 million. Then there's the Oil and Gas Industry Recovery Assistance Fund, which is a COVID support program. That gave $320 million to support Canada and Labrador's offshore oil industry. The oil and gas industry is valuable to Newfoundland and Labrador economy. In 2020, the pandemic and the global crash of the oil prices it resulted in a significant blow to the industry, including Newfoundland's local supply and service sector. But, yet again, this is another disadvantage to clean energy. As we build back from COVID-19, all recovery measures should have clear conditions and standards to align spending with climate action goals. The pandemic has put millions of livelihoods in Canada at risk. That is why the government's response requires unprecedented support for workers and industries, such as the oil and gas sector. However, this support, it should neither introduce nor entrench subsidies that hinder our urgently needed transition away from fossil fuels. Many of the programs established in 2020 um, 
were at the request of the oil and gas industry. For example, in April 2020, the Canadian Association of Petroleum Producers, Canada's largest lobby group, they sent government a letter uh, asking for assistance, including increased accessibility to credit delivered through EDC and funding to reduce environmental liabilities. These requests were actually accommodated. Subsidies like this, they they distort investment and economic activity as they create an unfair advantage. They also hinder the innovation of a green transition and encourage excessive consumption of fossil fuels. Politicians, they have to stop referring to subsidies as an investment. Here's looking at you, Seamus O'Regan. Because there's scant evidence that this is so not the case. There is no such thing as a transitional fuel. If you burn it for energy, it's adding to the emission problem. Inherently, they impede investment in clean energy technologies, ultimately undermining efforts to fight climate change, eliminating subsidies to force energy companies to transition to clean energy more quickly. Innovative companies will not swim while sorry, innovative companies they'll swim while industry polluters will drown. You know when the pandemic hit, Justin Trudeau wanted to do as little as possible to help you. New Democrats use our power in the minority government to push back. We made him double serve, extended. We saved millions of jobs. When you send New Democrats to Ottawa, we fight for you. People tell me I'm different from the other leaders. And I am. I don't work for the wealthy and well-connected. I don't think government should be run for their benefit, like it has for decades. I believe that government should work for all of us. Investing in healthcare, cutting costs for families, and tackling the climate crisis. Not just saying the right things, but actually doing them. Now that's different. Canadians should not have to decide between jobs or fighting climate change. Both need to happen simultaneously. It could be used to retain employment, or it could be used to retain unemployed oil workers and build solar arrays, wind turbines, hydroelectric generating stations to provide new jobs in all regions adversely affected by over-reliance on non-renewable resource extraction. Renewable Energy sources are a sustainable and growing industry, not to mention they don't carry the expensive social and ecological burdens of fossil fuels, no heightened mortality rates due to air pollution, no orphan wells need a cleanup. We need to build a clean energy production and distribution infrastructure sufficiently large enough to get all Canadians coast to coast to coast off fossil fuels. And get this, the cost of policing the coastal gas link pipeline conflict in northern British Columbia between January 2019 and March 2020 was $13 million. $13 million. Investments made into policing indigenous land defenders opposing fossil fuel infrastructure is a particularly egregious form of a fossil fuel subsidy. 
Canada has committed to reconciliation with Indigenous people and has agreed to uphold the UN Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples. Criminalizing peaceful land defenders is in contradiction with these commitments. In January 2020, the UN Committee on the Elimination of Racial Discrimination called upon Canada to halt the construction of the coastal gas link pipeline until the Wet'suwet'en people grant free, prior and informed consent to cease the forced eviction of land defenders. A $1.7 billion in funding for provinces to pay for closure and reclaiming um, of orphan and inactive wells, allowing oil and gas companies to access special government financing or to leave their mess behind without paying for cleanup is just as helpful to its bottom line and incentivizes pollution as a direct payment or tax incentive. A significant portion of the support in 2020 was provided under the guise of job creation and achieving environmental outcomes. Even when ecological consequences are attached to subsidies, subsidies often fail to achieve their stated objectives, and there is no process for reviewing the contributions or determining whether they are the most effective or affordable way of achieving an environmental outcome. For example, the federal government invested $1 billion into cleaning up inactive oil wells in Alberta. Inactive wells are owned by active companies who have neglected to pay the cleanup costs of their operations for decades, despite provincial laws in Alberta obligating companies to pay these costs. Not only is passing these private costs onto the public the wrong approach for government to take, but to mending a problem that the industry should fix, uh, this problem has not come close to achieving its intended function, which is essentially job creation. So rather than spending the funds on more reclaiming work, uh, the majority of oil companies that undertake the bulk of the work replace their spending with federal funding. Companies put their remediation programs on hold while waiting for the government to pay for the cleanup costs. As a result, the promised job creation has not materialized, and instead, public dollars are replacing the funds allocated by private companies. No rec uh, reclamation work appears to be underway, and as a result, no additional workers are receiving the benefits of this program. The government also announced a $750 million program to reduce greenhouse emissions, predominantly methane. These same outcomes could be reached with no public cost by putting regulations in place to force companies to invest their funds into solutions. By taking on the cost of reducing emissions, we're holding the industry accountable and the cost of doing business is lowered instead of adopting a polluter pays approach which forces those who cause the damage to bear the cost these subsidies put taxpayers on the hook to clean up the industry's mess fossil fuel subsidies at the federal level are directed mainly to fossil fuel 
producers, as opposed to consumers. The oil lobby and even some politicians have suggested that Canada could reduce its global emissions by exporting more oil and gas, failing to point out that Canada's oil is one of the dirtiest in the world. Oh, now I know. I just said that. And I am used to receiving a lot of blowback for stating that. But many scientific studies show that oil and gas facilities leak a lot more climate-altering gases than what is reported by the industry. Conventional oil and gas production, it leaks a lot of methane. Oil sand operations emit approximately 30% more carbon dioxide than officially declared. In a recent study, Canada ranks 47th out of 50 that found 46 countries produce oil with a lower carbon footprint than Canada. Only three countries were worse, Venezuela, Algeria, and Cameroon. Environment Canada scientists flew over the oil sands in Alberta and conducted atmospheric measurements. They discovered that carbon dioxide intensities up to 123% higher than current estimates. You can find these findings for yourself. Uh, these findings, they were published in the Nature, um, in the journal Nature Communications. This leads to 64% higher annual greenhouse gas emissions from surface mining operations and 30% higher overall oil sands greenhouse gas emissions compared to that reported by the industry. Despite emissions reporting, which uses the most up-to-date and recommended bottom-up approaches. That's what the study referring to greenhouse gases said. In Canada's hour of transformation, the federal government continues to demonstrate its willingness to invest in the oil and gas industry, knowing that these projects are incompatible with Canada's international climate obligations. Financing the construction of pipelines that have substantial carbon footprints violates Indigenous rights and puts ecosystems at risk. These pipelines would allow for the expansion of oil and frac gas at the very time when we need to be transitioning away from the production of fossil fuels. In 2018, the government paid Kinder Morgan $4.5 billion to buy Trans Mountain. The project cost to complete the controversial Trans Mountain Pipeline expansion, it skyrocketed to $12.6 billion, driving the price tag above $16 billion when the expense of buying the pipeline is taken into account. The buyout has been financed throughout Export Development Canada. The disastrous implications of the project have been clear all along, but federal government agencies are now finding that the economic rationale behind the pipeline is quickly evaporating. Even without ramped-up climate action and with the cancellation of the Keystone XL pipeline, the Canadian Energy Regulator concludes that the Canadian oil exports can be met with existing capacity. So there is no reason for any additional pipelines, including the Trans Mountain Expansion Pipeline. The Parliamentary Budget Officer found that even most new climate policies in line with what government have already committed to would result in the pipeline becoming a money loser. In 2020, EDC, Export Development Canada, approved a loan of up to $500 million for TC Energy's coastal gasoline pipeline. The pipeline is intended to transport frac, ga 
fracked gas from northeastern BC to the LNG Canada export facility on the coast, the west coast. The pipeline is opposed by the hereditary chiefs of the Wet'suwet'en nation whose territory the pipeline crosses. Wet'suwet'en hereditary Hereditary chiefs have been clear that their actions are in defense of their of their lands and waters as well as the climate, and have shown how pipelines on their lands will actually threaten their trap lines, animals in their region, as well the pristine Maurice River, which is an essential source of fresh drinking water and salmon. The continued construction despite the opposition, violates the rights and legal authorities of the Wet'suwet'en Nation to protect, to protect their, tradi- their traditional territories from the construction of unwanted fossil fuel infrastructure. The liberal and conservative's record on the environment is a litany of neglect, delay, and broken promises. Since 2000, Canada's per capita greenhouse gas emissions have actually decreased only marginally, and remain substantial. Exporting more Canadian oil will decrease global carbon emissions. The Trudeau Liberals, they support the construction of LNG Canada, a $40 billion facility that Canadians paid for for liquefied natural gas being built in Kitimat, BC, to be fed by fracked gas delivered by Coastal GasLink. The gas would be liquefied before being loaded onto tankers and then it would be exported to Asia. The plan received $275 million in funding from the federal government when there was pushback from climate activists and scientists at the same time on the consequences of pursuing LNG. So they just don't listen to the advisors that are there to guide our government. Natural Resource Minister Seamus O'Regan, who I played at the beginning of the intro, he described the contributions as an investment that would help secure Canada's fate, provide millions of dollars for Indigenous businesses and construction contracts, and help reduce coal plant emissions in Asian markets. However, the National Observer reported in March of 2020 that a claim made by an advisor hired by LNG Canada regarding exporting the product to China to displace coal-fired electricity generation was a theoretical calculation that didn't even take real-world factors into account. Horizon Advisors is a sustainable um, climate change and nature conservation policy advisor uh, consulting firm. They released a report that argued the Canadian Crown Corporation's support of the coastal gasoline pipeline was undermining the country's climate goals of cutting carbon pollution 30% below 2005 levels by 2030 and reach net zero pollution by 2050. See, Truth is, liquefied natural gas is neither clean nor particularly low in emissions. Huge investments to support new infrastructure in the fossil fuel industry, including pipelines, liquefaction facilities, tankers to transport and export terminals, uh, they lock in fossil fuel dependence, making the transition to low carbon, and no carbon for that matter, um, even more difficult. If we want to reduce climate 
warming emissions, we can't settle for liquefied natural gas to replace dirtier fossil fuels. This is not an effective strategy to mitigate catastrophic climate impacts. The greenhouse gas emissions from the extraction, transport, liquefaction, and regasification of liquid natu natural gas are nearly parallel to emissions produced from burning the gas. This would actually double the impact of each unit of energy created from gas exported overseas. Liquefaction, tank transport, and regasification steps required for overseas export can account for up to... 21% of total life cycle emissions for liquefied natural gas. Methane, which is a potent greenhouse gas during the extraction and transport of LNG, can constitute 14% of its life cycle emissions. When compared with clean renewable energy sources, LNG falls short. The life cycle of greenhouse gas emissions for solar power is actually less than 7% of LNG emissions and um, emissions for wind power are less than 2% uh, of emissions produced for liquefied natural gas. Seamus O'Regan and the Liberals, they like to flaunt their support of LNG, but in reality, it will have devastating effects on frontline communities. The impacts on the climate regarding LNG arise mainly from the methane leaks through LNG's production, processing, and transportation steps. They pose many problems for the environment, human health, communities, and environmental justice. Gas production includes extensive use of fracking. Not to mention the processing can increase local air pollution and contaminate water supplies. Pipelines and gas wells, they harm local ecosystems and they degrade habitat while disrupting wildlife movement and migration. Disadvantaged areas are often the location of pipelines, coincidentally, plant storage facilities as well, and export terminals, compression, and metering stations. This adds new environmental stressors for these frontline communities. Liberals are not alone in their support of natural gas. Many argue that liquefied natural gas is a safer alternative to coal and oil. However, it is crucial to debunk this now, because the gas extraction, processing, and trans transport emit greenhouse gases, including large amounts of methane from leaks and intentional releases at wells, pipelines, storage, and processing facilities. Indeed, methane, the principal gas component and the second most significant driver of climate change, it does not have the same life cycle in atmosphere as carbon dioxide. But the climate impact is more than 80 times more vigorous in the short term and 28 times more assertive in the long term. Exporting liquefied natural gas overseas extends the gas life cycle adding steps for liquefaction and tanker transport regasification during which even more CO2 and methane are emitted. This increases the emissions from the use of gas and brings to question the effectiveness of internationally traded gas as a plan to reduce emissions and combat climate change. Expanded production and export 
of liquefied natural gas will need large amounts of massive, long-lived and single-purpose infrastructure, such as pipelines, terminals, plants, tankers and gas-fired power plants. These investments lock in fossil fuel dependence and the affiliated emissions making the transition to clean energy even more difficult. Just because burning gas produces fewer pollutants than burning coal, it doesn't make it a cleaner alternative. Substituting coal with gas for electricity production or heating enhance air quality locally and regionally. Burning gas instead of coal not only produces less carbon dioxide, but has less harmful or pollutants like mercury, sulfur, dioxide, lead, nitrogen oxides, and fine particles like soot. Air pollutants can cause environmental damage like acid rain, which, can I just point out, we managed to come together and form a consensus on the devastation that acid rain would have on the environment and the human race. We defeated it. However, in 2021, there is so much, um, there's so many conspiracy theories and mistruths that is just making it harder for us to come together and agree. Methane concentration in our atmosphere is steadily increasing and in 2019 it struck record levels that were almost 15% higher than in the 80s before I was born well I was born in the late 80s CO2 carbon dioxide it does not remain in the atmosphere for as long as methane but it does confine much more heat and for this reason it has been a more considerable, significant climate impact in the near term. The IPCC said we have only a few decades to rapidly decrease greenhouse gas emissions and limit global warming. Canada needs to slash these emissions in the following two decades by more than 75% to reach net zero by mid-century. Exporting gas along with continued and potentially increased use of gas, undermines the urge to mitigate climate change. So as we embark on Election Monday to determine who will fill the vacant 338 seats, let me just say thank you. Thank you to those volunteers and election uh, Elections Canada workers uh, for conducting another election, especially during a pandemic. And... Until we make a change at the ballot box, we will continue on this unsustainable trajectory because one thing is for certain, electing another liberal or conservative government, it's not going to alleviate the impending environmental threat in any way. Well, that's it for me, everyone. Thanks for listening. Until next time, cheers and enjoy the rest of your weekend.